Well, hello, and welcome to Watering Seeds, uh, the podcast uh, conversation that reviews and reapplies the preached word to our own minds and our hearts and to those of our listeners. Watering Seeds is a podcast ministry of Covenant Reform Presbyterian Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, on the podcast, we discuss our sermons, uh, ask some questions about them, and, and seek some further uh, application in our lives. Today, we're going to be discussing last Sunday's sermon from Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 23. Uh, the title of the sermon is Power for the Powerless. Uh, it concludes uh, the first chapter uh, in Ephesians. So my name is Sean McCann. I'm one of the pastors. I'm here with my fellow pastor, Chris Brown, uh, as we just jump in and discuss the sermon. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing pretty well. All right, good. I think we said this last week, but in our new church schedule, uh, Chris has listened to the sermon twice in person. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure reviewed again for this discussion. Mm-hmm. So he might know it better than me. <laughs> uh, so our final point that we were discussing at the end of Ephesians 1 uh, the title of the sermon, Power for the Powerless, is it's it's really Paul unfolding even more how the power of God at work in Christ uh, encourages us that his power is also at work in us. Uh, and so it, maybe it's a topic, I'm not really sure if it's a topic we think about often or not as Christians, how the power of God is at work in us. Uh, I thought maybe we'd start asking why why do you think? Why does Paul think that we need a greater understanding of power? Right. I mean, it's one of the three areas that he lists out as ways that we know God and His work. Right. There's hope. There's the riches of His inheritance, and then verses 19 all the way to 23 are all about this one idea: the power of God at work in Christ, and the power of His work is His power at work in us. So, do you have any thought on that? Why do we? Why does Paul think that we need as regular Christians? a continually greater understanding of God's power. That was that was going to be my first question, too. My, my first question was literally, why does Paul spend so much time praying about this? Oh, there you go. you got to uh, answer it first. Now I get to answer. Um, I think that it's related to your sermon title, which is Power for the Powerless. And um, and it's I would also say it's related to the nature of God's promises. So he... We're, we're a powerless people when we, when we get down to the basics. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, we are impoverished uh, when we really see our own hearts. We, we can't save ourselves. Uh, we don't have power to save ourselves. And that's the entrance into Christianity is, is you recognize your sin and your powerlessness to save yourself uh, from your sin and its consequences. Uh, so... The Christian recognizes their powerlessness in a, in a sense. They recognize their sinfulness. They recognize the, their frailty. And then next to that, we've got this promise from God, which uh, is incredible. He talks about the inheritance previously, this wonderful inheritance. He talks about uh, being adopted as children, uh, the hope of heaven, of the glory of God. How can a powerless person possibly get there uh, to this amazing promise? And it has to be God's power that can get us there. Uh, I think that's why he focuses so much on it. Uh, Because in our day-to-day life, we see our sin and we see our frailty every day. We're thinking, how how could we possibly uh, be saved uh, in the end? So we need to see God's power. That's my thought about 
why he thinks so much about yeah. it, why he prays so much. Yeah, that makes sense. It. it might not really have an answer for it. It's just so instructive for us. I mean, it's almost telling us as Christians, you don't have a high enough view of the greatness of God's power. Hmm. And you always need a higher view of it. You know, hmm. which is pretty... I mean, it could be somewhat convicting because you think, oh, I thought I knew God's power. <laughs> and here's Paul praying and teaching us to pray that we know it more and more. I also think it's, it leads into the, the body of the sermon. Sometimes we misdefine or apply the power of God, right? And we think it's some sort of uh, his power at work in uh, my health and wealth, mm. right? And in my kind of earthly experiences. And it's not to deny that, but the focus here is on what he's doing for us spiritually and eternally. Uh, so the, the focus, as I identified in the sermon, is God's power in three areas, uh, which also means his power in those areas in Christ as well as in us. Uh, and that was in death, power over death, power over evil, and power over the church. Uh, death is the first one, and that's the idea of raising Jesus from the dead. I mean, a very basic Christian truth, uh, one that, uh, quite frankly, is a little bit easier to, to skip over, right? Or maybe just think, yeah, I got that down already. Um, and I really focused in on the fear of death, right? And I wanted to ask you, as in your years of pastoral ministry, uh, how have you seen a fear of death kind of manifest itself in people's lives? I, I, yeah. Because I do feel like maybe the gut response for many Christians is, well, I'm not afraid of death. Like, mm -hmm. no, I'm a Christian. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. um, and you can talk a big game. And I know I've seen and experienced myself a fear of death in different times and seasons mm -hmm. in my own life and other people's lives. So I wonder if you had any thought on that. I mean, wh how does a fear of death manifest itself? Maybe in general, maybe just in Christians. I mean, the fear of death, like you were saying, people lie to themselves right. about it every day because how can you possibly get through life terrified of this thing that you know is coming? Yeah. Um, I think it's at Romans 1. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that there's a judgment for our, our sin um, and death is the wages for sin. And so everybody has this guilty conscience and they're terrified about what's going what's gonna to happen. Um, not just the death itself, but what death indicates is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And so for the believer, the thing that death indicates for the unbeliever is taken away. Uh, now death is this portal to, to glory, but there's still doubts and fears. Uh, and there's also, I think with believers, um, it's, at least some people I've talked to, it's not death itself that scares them, it's the suffering that leads up to death. Uh, so it's persecution, it's torture, it's it's 20 years of suffering on a hospital bed, five years or one month, you know, that that's what a lot of people are more afraid of. Um, it's the pain that they're gonna undergo. Um, that's how I've seen the fear of death manifest in the life of believers more. Um, some of them really have grappled with death itself and they're not that afraid of it um some of them are still i think lying to themselves <laughs> yeah. until they get there so, uh, so if the fear if it's because i agree with you yeah. if it's more of a fear of dying or an additional fear of dying not death mm. is there ways that this passage and this truth also helps us face that reality oh definitely 
Yeah, I think that's the the point of the grip of death and the penalty of death, how powerful it is. That's the natural fear for every creature now. Um, that all the animals suffer death because there's some sort of effect that's occurred because of Adam. Mm-hmm. Now all creatures are under this terrible thing. Um, but what the resurrection means is everyone united to the God-man uh, has this this powerful thing suddenly has lost its victory. Its, its sting of mm-hmm. hell that's to come is just removed completely. And now God uses it to take us out of a world of sin and bring us into a world of glory. Uh, so it shows God's totally more powerful than, than death, this natural thing we fear. The, the creator of all life can overcome it. That's, mm-hmm. that's what the resurrection means for us. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that totally. Un- and I think the other thing, um, I was reading a book on fear by a Puritan. I think, I don't want to miss, I, don't, I think it's John Flavel. And he says, uh, I think what this also shows is that dying, the, the process of dying, the pains, God tempers them. Because if God used the cross for good, then he tempers all of our sufferings hmm. for good. So he tempers them for us uh, so that they're suitable to us. And he also makes the entire process, as gruesome as it might be, appropriate for us for our inevitable good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what the cross means uh, for the Christian. Uh, it means the sting's taken away because Christ is resurrected. It also means God's planning this out for our good. Uh, so we don't have to be afraid even of the the painful mm-hmm. elements we would naturally be mm-hmm. be afraid of. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea of it's kind of a reversal. There's a reversal of mm-hmm. the victory of death. And, um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned the, the virus, right? The coronavirus mm-hmm. we're in. And I remember just, I've read a little bit about, you know, w- what it's been like for some of the people who have died. And... There's both the medical aspect of it and the misery of a ventilator, and then the social aspect of it, which is probably the hardest, the people being separated from loved ones, and people who have had to watch their loved one. I mean, it's it's really horrific. Uh, and the idea that even Jesus' power over death can reverse that pain and suffering and the things that we would all legitimately fear if you don't fear death, like you said, at least the, the dying part mm-hmm. of that experience of death. Yeah, I have a, like a little illustration of it. Um, you know, my grandfather recently passed away, and he is a believer, was a believer, and is a believer <laughs> in glory now. Uh, but he, um, we were concerned he was going to be spending his last weeks in a hospital just because of all because of COVID and the restrictions. But thankfully, he was able to get back home mm-hmm. and um, spend his last week with with my grandmother and some aunts and uncles. And uh, anyway, he, uh, he had somebody call him and say, so how are you doing? And I think his last memorable words were, uh, I'm, I'm homeward bound. Hmm. And those were, that was his final thought. Hmm. Uh, and that's, that's what Christ does. Hmm. He, he takes away um, the sense that this is our home. And he implants in us this reality that 
death is just in, helping us enter into our true home that mm-hmm. Abraham was longing for, that all the saints of old were longing for. Uh, Christ is far more powerful mm-hmm. than than that natural fear of death. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And the Bible also uses that metaphor of childbirth. You know, mm-hmm. we, our, our, we both have kids and our wives gone through it and, you know, so many women can kind of face and endure the pain, the pangs of childbirth in anticipation of the joy mm. of welcoming their new baby. And that joy outweighs, right, the pain mm. in some, dramatically. Uh, and that, yeah, that same thing for us because of Christ's mm-hmm. power over death. Okay, great. From death, we return to the second power over evil. This is the power um, spent the most time in our section uh, in verses, uh, you know, second part of 20, 21, and 22. Uh, the idea that Jesus is both seated over and everything's put under his feet. A description of the ascension. When we preached through the Apostles' Creed last year, this is the passage I preached on to focus on the ascension, right? Christ's heavenly reign. Uh, ruling and judging, but particularly, I think I focused in the sermon on those powers over which he exercises his authority, the spiritual powers, the spiritual forces of evil. And I thought that might be a good place for us uh, to discuss, and uh, feel free to jump in on any other things under this second heading, uh, but the topic of spiritual warfare, and maybe maybe a place to start is how. what are maybe some wrong ways that Christians have conceptualized of spiritual warfare? Or maybe some unhelpful ways, or maybe wrongs too strong of a word, imbalanced ways. There are definitely uh, people, some wrong ways. There's, there's, of course, there's wrong ways for anything. Yeah. <laughs> anything come to mind for you on that? I mean, the definite wrong ones, like, you know, it's this duality view. There's, there's God and there's Satan. Who's going to win? I don't know. They're duking it out. And if you just give your prayers to God, he'll use them and he'll win over Satan. Right. That, that is a wrong view. Right. Uh, right. Fair. Uh, Fair. You know, Satan's a... Satan's just this creature God God said right. be and he was and God could say stop being and mm-hmm. he would stop being. So mm-hmm. um, that puts things into perspective mm-hmm. for one. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, what do you think? Yeah. There's some other views that I know. Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I think some simple errors is kind of in two directions, just to overstate it and to understate it, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so to understate it um, is sort of we are, uh, smart, educated people. We don't talk about these <laughs> these right. things, right? I mean, it's well, all... It's America. It's, right. And so it's all explained by behavioralism or chemical imbalance. Mm. And we don't, we don't disregard those things. Um, but I think there can be a, a real naivete. Is that how you say it? <laughs> a naive... Uh, and, I, and it ha- happens to me, too. I mean, I fall into the, the trap of sort of ignoring it. What were those books, those novels, Peretti? Oh yeah, um, and they yeah, were the freaky. <laughs> yeah, they weren't. Um, I don't think they were quite biblically accurate, mm-hmm. but they painted this picture of the spiritual warfare mm-hmm. around you, and, and and sort of made it very very real. But then, of course, I think is overstating it um, to the point that we're we are sort of rudderless victim victims at the mercy of some angelic battle above and you our heads. You need to heads. be afraid all the time. You need to be afraid all the time. Gonna exactly. To you, you exactly. Know, um, and maybe whatever side you're sort of leaning on one way, you look at the other side uh, like they're crazy. So I think that 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 imbalance, and something that was really helpful for me in reading over the sermon is a couple different authors made this point that, you know, we don't see the same type of spiritual opposition today in the church as we saw 
and when Christ walked the earth. And a lot of the, the, the one explanation for that is that, I mean, that was the moment. I mean, that was the greatest moment in history. Right. Yeah. Where Satan threw everything he could and all of his minions uh, at Christ. And so I, I know there are places, and I don't want to go too deep into continuationist views of, of this, but there are places kind of on the frontier part of missions, right? Where maybe there's a more overt spiritual warfare. But I don't think that means that it's not going on right. in Christian or post-Christian nations. I think it's just more, it's more uh, opposite of covert. Uh, opposite of overt covert, right? Yeah. It's more secretive. It's more subtle in the ways we experience it today. So maybe that's another, we only conceptualize the spiritual warfare as we see demonic oppression in scripture. Right. And so if we don't see that, then we're okay yeah. today. Well, and, and I think you mentioned, I can't see it in my notes, but somewhere in here you mentioned the nature of it as deception. There it is. Yeah, I um, did. Yeah. And that, I mean, we have to take the whole biblical witness of what demons are, what they're doing, what their goal is, what Satan's goal is as a deceiver who wants mankind to be guilty. Mm-hmm. That's his main goal. Mm-hmm. That's all he wants. Just, I want you to be guilty. I want you to get judged. I want mankind <laughs> off the earth. That's that's it. Um, so it's different strokes for different folks, right? Like yeah. uh, Western materialists, if he wants to deceive Western materialists, he's going to deceive them a certain way. And if you're, um, say, a, a tribe who believes that there are 10 deities and the ancestors and you need to talk to a witch doctor... Uh-huh. He'll deceive you in a different way. He'll he'll act like he's a, he'll send demons to act like they're gods that interact with you. Um, if you're the Assyrians, he'll he'll show up as different deities that interact with you. So um, he uses forms of deception that are appropriate uh, for each person or each culture. And I mean, also in America, we are not purely materialists anymore. Uh, we've got the new age is big and he employs the new age I think pretty heavily and I, I think especially in our area um, people think of demons as the head spinning mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the crazy manifestations you know uh-huh. they've, they've possessed the person in there yeah, from the movies now. yeah well, well or even the even some of the biblical witnesses of yeah. the person's thrown into the fire and then sometimes into the water and, um, and that is how he works sometimes demons work sometimes but other demons appear as Satan appears as an angel of light. He acts really nice. He even says he's he's Jesus to some people. He he shows up in mm-hmm. um, manifestations and forms to people, uh, and I think he he deceives uh, people who are trying to pursue the universe or things like that, or talk to aliens or talk to mediums or spirits, spiritists or ghosts. Even um, he employs all of that stuff to keep people. Uh, deluded and confused about the nature of their sin and the nature of Jesus Christ. So um, that's my kind of Mm -hmm. view of the role of demons Mm -hmm. and Christ's power over them is that whatever they're doing, it's, it's like a dog on a leash. Exactly. He's he's allowing them to do it. Um, And our engagement in spiritual warfare is to take up that full armor Mm -hmm. Uh, the helmet of the hope of salvation, mm-hmm. the breastplate of righteousness, shoes shod with readiness to preach the good news of peace, mm-hmm. um, and the sword of the Spirit. I mean, that's that's our weapon. So uh, I think that's the the power 
of Jesus that he gives us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Yeah. Yeah, the, the famous C.S. Lewis book, The Screwtape Letters, is yes. so, uh, it's just so helpful to see how we, as Westerners, I guess, are mm-hmm. subtly deceived. Uh, I don't know how Lewis gets into the mind of <laughs> What's his name? Worm Tongue. Yeah, Wait, the same. Is that Wormwood? Wormwood. Sorry. Worm Tongue was your illustration. Yeah, Worm Tongue is the guy from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Wormwood. Wormwood. Is the one, yeah. He's the uncle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep. On that idea of sort of the evil forces being mm-hmm. on a leash mm-hmm. and under the authority of Jesus, he's on his throne. You know, we battle evil knowing the power of Christ. And that's the application I wanted to leave people with, not to be afraid, mm-hmm. but to, to, with sobriety, recognize mm-hmm. the power of Christ. Mm-hmm. But then particularly, leading to the third point, is his power over the church. And that that, that is his precious possession mm-hmm. that he, he does protect. Particularly our fourth verb at the end of verse 22 is that he gave him as head over all things uh, to the church, that Christ has given uh, to the church um, to strengthen her and for her benefit. Uh, and I made the statement that all of history is arranged for the sake of the church. Um, I want to ask if you agree with that, or is there any nuance you have to that thought? Um, and what what objections might people have to that idea? You know, I mean, I totally agree with that with that conception. Yeah, and I think it was Doug Kelly. Who said um, his way of putting it was God created the world to give a bride to his son that that's the way he summarizes all of human history that's why the world exists is for his son to have a bride Hmm. and I love that that's beautiful it's a really good summary Uh, so that gets the picture of it is about the church but it's also about God Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's about God's glory the son saved this bride and uh, the people who oppose this bride will be judged and show God's justice and righteousness. Mm-hmm. So uh, that gets, I think it gets all of it in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a challenge when people hear it is usually when we hear the word, or not usually, but a number of people think of the institutional church. Right. So like everything is for the sake of the Vatican, or the right? Or the, or the big steeple in town, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. That's not what we mean, obviously. Mm-hmm. We mean the people of God. Sorry, I cut the you assembly. off. Right, the assembly. Yeah, well, yeah. no, that, I mean, you asked the question, uh, what challenges do people have with yeah. that? And it's, I mean, we are sinfully self-centric, mm-hmm. man-centric. Uh, it's about the individual. Mm-hmm. It can't possibly just be about God's purpose mm-hmm. overall. Isn't it, you know, God exists to help us out instead of us existing for God's purposes. Uh, so I think that that's, that's the thing that confronts us today, and I think people have this the most issue with. It mm. makes them upset. Mm. It's unsettling. Um, anyway. That's, you mean unsettling in the sense that I thought God was there for me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the kind of the creeping liberalism is... Uh, I I just kind of go through life. God's made me a really special individual, and I know God exists, and He just forgives everybody basically, and He exists to get get me through the day. That's why He made everything. He's just a really nice guy, um, and that's it. Yeah. There's no issue of sin. The 
the Savior, Jesus Christ, really wasn't that necessary in this conception. And I think that's like most of America. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and I think it kind of rubs off on yeah, on us because on it's church. just our selfishness. It's, yeah. it's we, we just assume, of course, God's yeah. supposed to do that. Yeah. So this puts it the other way around that it's about God's plan to save a people and orient all history around that plan. Mm-hmm. And it's not every single person. That's mm-hmm. part of the issue. It's it's a people who repent and believe mm-hmm. in the gospel. Uh, so that's why I was saying, yeah. I think that's a challenge yeah. for people. And I, if I had more time, I would have kind of fleshed this out under the last point. But the first sermon on Ephesians, I said the, the theme of the book is identity formation. Mm-hmm. And I think this really plays into mm-hmm. our identity and in two ways in particular that I briefly mentioned. And one is suffering, and the other is the mission of the church. Hmm. Um, I think if we conceptualize God working all things for our good, I mean, usually we think of that as individual sense. But we think of it as a corporate sense, a, a, a body sense, that he is working on our behalf. I think it, we can make a better sense of suffering. Um, and then also mission. So maybe I'll ask a question about suffering hmm. before we get to missions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, how, this is a pretty open-ended question, but how does suffering strengthen the church, mm-hmm. right? How does the suffering that God allows, that leash that he might give a little more slack one day, like how does that, in what ways, there's a lot of ways we can go with this, but in what ways does suffering strengthen the church? I actually had somebody ask me today, <laughs> they said, what, what do you think God's doing with all this COVID stuff? Yeah. And I was like, I think there's as many purposes behind this as there are atoms in the universe, like how can I possibly, how can you summarize it? He's, mm-hmm. His plan is so much more complex. Uh, but as far as what he tells us, uh, it sanctifies people. Uh, they see their they see their sinfulness, their, their lack of trust. Whatever issue every individual church member has, that suffering sanctifies us. It exposes. It challenges yeah. our hearts. It makes us go back to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and, and grow as we pursue obedience. It leads people to repentance, or that's what it's meant to do. The kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. And Paul includes in kindness suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, suffering, I mean, God could have just ended it. Mm-hmm. He just said, you sin against me, you're done. But instead, he gives us suffering. Um, it's discipline and chastisement, and it's supposed to wake us up. Uh, there's, there's a reason uh, suffering exists. There's a curse, and I'm... I'm guilty. I need to be forgiven. So uh, I think that's part of it. I think so it's sanctification. It's, it's to wake people up, to make, lead them to repentance when they hear the gospel. So I want to get ahead of myself, but the next step is right, right. evangelism. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the mission. Uh, let me we'll say one more thing before we jump sure, to that. Sure, yeah. I, I do think suffering has, there's a way that God uses it to prune, and that's kind of a harsh word, mm. but to refine the church. Yeah. You know, and to purify in some sense through suffering, uh, especially in uh, a Christian or a post-Christian type context where it's easy to go to church and it's easy to claim the name of Jesus. Uh, and so you have, or you tend to have more nominalism in the church uh, where you don't, I don't feel like you see that as much in a persecuted context. Mm. And so as Christianity uh, in our day, in our country is not really persecuted, but it is mocked in a sense, and it's looked down on in a sense, uh, and it does make you wonder, or 
people who have claimed Jesus when it's been easy, are they, is that faith persevere because it is true faith as a gift of Christ, even when they're not respected for their views? So I think that's also an additional way that a church may be reduced numerically, mm. but maybe strengthened uh, in inwardly. Its, yeah, inwardly. Yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking of the illustration of the four soils yep. and the seeds, the seeds, the word. There's four different types of people. Three yeah. of them aren't believers. Three of them aren't regenerated. Only one type is. And the two of them, the ones the sun comes out mm-hmm. and the sun's trials. And uh, the soil that is rocky has no root and it burns up. I think the other ones, the, the thorns or the cares of this world, and that's the, the sinful coveting and lusts mm-hmm. of this world, and uh, they, it gets choked out. Mm-hmm. So that's both of those that right. picture of right. it, it, it gets rid of some right. people, but the sun also strengthens yeah. those who have firm roots. That's right. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, the mission of the church, that last part, is mm-hmm. essentially uh, the church is his body, verse 23, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Um, this is a pretty complicated uh, verse to interpret, I found out. There's lots of different interpretations of it. I didn't it. look at the Greek, but uh, I was kind of wondering about Some it. authors said it was one of the hardest verses in the whole book. Uh, so I came away with uh, understanding it to mean the church, it's just kind of two parts. The first part is the church is filled by Christ. And the second part is Christ fills the world through the church. Mm-hmm. That's clarifying, I think, the mission of the church. Uh, that that the church is the very means by which Jesus fills the world. Mm. Uh, and it, it, it makes sense with many other passages of Scripture on the mission of the church, mm-hmm. um, gospel proclamation, people repenting and believing, and a new community being formed throughout the world. Um, I didn't have a question, actually, on that, on that mm-hmm. final point. Um, but it is, it is a... You kind of go full circle in these verses from the power of Christ over death and then sort of the challenge, right, of uh, spiritual warfare uh, to sort of coming, in a sense, victorious uh, as the word uh, grows by Christ's appointment in the church to the ends of the earth. Do you have any thoughts, final thoughts on that? Yeah, I had a question about it, which was just, what do you think Paul's praying, he's, he's praying that we would grasp this power of God, it's the power that gave Christ, who's over all, the head of all, over all, yeah. specifically gave him to the church. What does that do for our confidence and um, our hope during this time? During right now? Right now, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's intended to buoy our hope, right? It's, content, it's intended to strengthen it. I mean, I definitely have moments where you think the church is. Uh, it's a, a sideshow to what's really happening in the mm-hmm. world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the church feels power, and it certainly feels powerless right now. I mean, when you're not meeting for three months, you feel incredibly powerless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know it's true you're not you know you're not existing in the primary purpose of the church, which yeah. is to assemble for worship. Uh, but it, I think it it can test our uh, our faith, right? That. God is on his throne and he's bringing about his purposes for his church, even through such a uh, bizarre stage. And so I think it should give us confidence, especially we don't, we can't plan for the future right now. It's impossible to know what's coming down the pipe. Um, You know, we don't know how much of this, you know, the government's reaction has been mixed and how much of that may 
turn kind of in a dark way against the church. Hmm. Uh, I think it has in some local places. Uh, I don't feel like we've had that in Asheville, North Carolina. But having that level of confidence that no matter, you know, kind of come what may, uh, this is the very means by which uh, Christ expands his rule and his reign to the ends of the earth. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah. It's, for me, I picture, I picture it kind of like this. It's a prayer that we will grasp where we're at in the real story of, of reality. We get day-to-day stories that are like, like you were saying, this, the church feels like a sideshow at times. Like the, the, this other stuff's what's happening. But this is going back to, we need this prayer. We need to pray that God will get us to see what's really going on here. Uh, that he really is powerfully ruling through his son uh, to orient everything around the salvation of his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, it will have a universal scope. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be all in all when he returns, uh, the regeneration of all things. That's the ultimate picture. So, uh, I mean, that gives me confidence. Right. Because when I just look at, when I hear news stories every day, I'm like, oh, everything's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but then when I get, this is this is the truth of God. Yeah. He's revealed himself. Yeah. Then, I'm, then I have confidence. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was quite an experience preaching about the power of God through the church on a field with half as many people as mm-hmm. we usually have mm-hmm. and in a sanctuary with a quarter of the people we usually have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of a juxtaposition yeah. of earthly power mm-hmm. and versus uh, spiritual power, uh, which is healthy, and we need to see what true spiritual power is. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to close it there unless you got any more thoughts. Okay, good. Um, you know, ultimately we need to, we, the, the gist of the passage is that we would see God's power for the powerless and that power is working through Christ and is working through Christ in our salvation, uniting us to Christ and the victory that's ours, uh, all and only achieved by Him. So it's, it's also our prayer as pastors that, our, that we and our members would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to know this power at work in us. Well, that closes uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we will be on a bit of a different note uh, on Sunday about <laughs> as we begin chapter 2. Uh, it is a, still a, a way to focus on God's glorious power, but from a, a perspective of raising us as spiritually dead people to life in Christ. Uh, so we'll get there next week. For now, thanks for listening to Watering Seeds. We hope you found this conversation helpful as you seek to live out your faith this week. Uh, we will be discussing that sermon on Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Uh, sometime in the middle of the week next week, so you can be on the lookout uh, for those podcasts to be posted. Until then, grace be with you all.